Our message today is taken from Matthew eleven twenty-five through 30, so if you want to turn to that passage. Listen now to God's holy and inerrant word. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together as we prepare to learn and hear God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel that we have just Uh, recited to ourselves, uh, having praised you for your holiness and your goodness, and also reminded of our brokenness, but to hear the good news that you have removed our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west. Father, we thank you for this good news, and we pray that as we sit beneath your word this morning, that you would remind us of that good news, that you would remind us that Even though we are so, so very broken, even though we are so, so very messy, even though we are so, so very sinful, as we also talked about in this service, uh, we pray that you would remind us this morning that even though that is true, at the same time, because of what Jesus has done for us, we are forgiven. We are accepted. We are secure. We are completely approved of before you in your presence. Father, we pray that this good news that we hear this morning, that it would change us deeply, that it would change us from the inside out. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, And children, ages three to first grade, you are dismissed to Children's Church. If you make your way out the back of the sanctuary, you'll be taken to your class. This. Christmas season, um, we're focusing on a particular theme on Sunday mornings, and it's this, that Jesus came. He came into this world, and through His person and work, He came to give us rest. Um, And we looked at a passage from Mark a couple of weeks ago, and then last week, I, I wasn't here, but Ed Eubanks was here, and he graciously kept our theme going with the sermon he preached from Isaiah 55. But I think you know that this time of year, it's a, it's a time of, of busyness, right? It, the, the pace is frantic and, and hectic, and we are busy. Our minds are busy as well as our bodies, and it's easy in the busyness of everything um, to forget why Jesus came, um, that the King of Kings came to live and die for you. He came to give you the rest that you deeply crave and most desperately need. Um, But here's what I think. As we get into this passage from Matthew chapter 11, I think that truthfully, 
uh, and deep down, uh, we are really scared of rest. Um, Even though we know we need it and we want it, we're scared of it. We're scared to be still. We're we're scared to stop and just be and be quiet. Um, A few months ago, I shared this study with you, and I want to remind you of it this morning. Psychologist Timothy Ward and his colleagues at the University of Virginia and Harvard, they conducted this study which showed that people find it very, very difficult to sit alone and be quiet and be still with just their own thoughts for just 6 to 15 minutes. Um, And it was a very interesting study, and they started with college students, and they put them in a plain, unadorned room, and they took away their any writing implements or reading material. They took away their cell phones, which, you know, is huge. Um, And, uh, you know, so they took all this away and they just asked them to sit and be still with their own thoughts for 6 to 15 minutes. And the overwhelming majority of these people came out and they said that they found it very difficult and not an enjoyable experience at all. Um, And so they expanded the parameters. They thought, well, this is college students. So let's, let's expand the parameters a little bit more. So they included ages 18 to 77, and they made sure to include a variety of different races and income levels and frequency of social media use. And the feedback that they got was the exact same, that age, race, income levels, um, frequency of social media use, education, none of it mattered. We don't like to sit still. We don't like to be quiet and rest. And so, this is the best part of this study. They finally pulled out all the stops, and they upped the ante, and this is what they did. They gave the participants, all the participants, a little buzzer with them in the room. And they said, if you choose to, during your 6 to 15 minutes in this room, you can press this buzzer. And when you do, it will give you an uncomfortable (laughs) electrical shock. Um, And so, they were going to administer this uncomfortable shock to themselves if they chose to do so. 67% of the men and 25% of the women chose to give themselves an electrical shock rather than just sit and be still and quiet with their own thoughts. Um, So here's what, (laughs) this means we would rather be in physical pain (laughs) than just be still and quiet and rest. Here's what's fascinating about us, about you and me. We deeply crave rest. We want it. We need it. We know we need it. We know how tired we get. And we talk about how tired we are and how we talk about how we need, we need a break. We know we're, ne- we're made for it. We know that as human beings, we need to stop occasionally. We need to rest. We know that it's written into our DNA that we're made for this. Um, but we're so very, very schizophrenic. Um, there's this dual, competing, conflicting, and contrasting desires that, that war within us, right? We want rest, we need rest, but we're deeply afraid of it. We're scared of it. Silence feels eerie to us even, right? Um, because in it, I think we're afraid that in the silence and in the quiet, we're going to be measured. And as we are measured, we will be found to be lacking. In the thick silence Our guilt and our shame haunt us, and we're terrified that if we stop, what we most deeply fear in life might actually be true, that we're found to be not enough, 
that we're found to be broken. We know we want to rest and stop, but that nagging fear, it keeps us moving and it keeps us busy. We can't just be. So even when we get a reprieve from our work um, and the normal toil that we involve ourselves in as we're working to try to prove our value and as we're busy spinning and protecting our image to prove our worth, it, when, all the, when we have a reprieve from that, we reach for our cell phones and our tablets, right? And our remote controls and our credit cards and our bottles to numb ourselves to what we most deeply fear in life, in the silence, because it unravels us. And here's what I want to do with this passage in Matthew chapter 11. We're not going to look at everything in this passage, but I want you to see the one who can give you the rest you need. And in his rest, I want you to see how the silence can finally stop frightening you and scaring you. So here are my three points this morning. The promise of rest, the people who rest, and then last, the place of rest. So first, I want us to take another step in towards understanding our desire, our hope for rest, and Jesus' promise to give it. So first, the promise of rest. But to get there, I need to switch gears uh, for you just just for a moment and briefly talk about poison ivy. Um, Because I am terribly allergic to poison ivy, Um, and and I imagine some of you have had poison ivy before. I just got over a case this past month where I had to take two steroid packs to knock out this poison ivy. I get it, and when I get it, I get it bad, right? And the thing about poison ivy is I want to describe to you um, this morning. If you've had it, you know this. If you don't, um, imagine it. Um, Poison ivy, the reason it's so bad, there's a couple reasons it's so bad. One is because the itch that you get from poison ivy, it's not like a normal itch. Like before I even get the the little bumps on my skin, I know it's poison ivy because it's a different kind of itch. It's an itch that feels so deep. It's like you could feel it in your bones, right? I mean, it's that deep, right? Um, and, And the problem is, you know when you have poison ivy that you shouldn't scratch it. You're not supposed to scratch it, but you always cave eventually. I cave every time. Just this once, i got to scratch it, right? Because I know it's going to feel so good when I scratch it. Um, But the problem is, when you do scratch it, that good feeling, it only lasts a fleeting fraction of a second. Because once you've scratched it, here's what happens. The itch comes back twice as bad with a vengeance, right? The more you scratch it, the more it itches, and it is just miserable. Welcome to the human condition, right? There is an itch that we are all infected with. There's something deep within us is what I'm saying. It's in our DNA. There is an itch, a want, and a hunger that is so deep within us for rest that everything in us wants to scratch it. But when we do, it comes back twice as bad. And it comes back with a vengeance upon us. The human condition is one of burden, Jesus says in verse 25. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy heavy laden or heavily burdened. Right? What was Jesus talking about here? Well, a few chapters over, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus spoke about burdens being laid on people. And this is what he said. He said, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. 
And what he was talking about was how the scribes and the Pharisees of the day were burdening people with religious laws and ceremonies. But it wasn't just law. It was a particular view of law that they were burdening people with. And that view was that if you do these things, then God will love you. And if you perform these duties, and if you keep these ceremonies, then God will be happy with you. Then He'll smile upon you. Then He'll be pleased with you if you keep these laws and these ceremonies. And if you're following me, here's what they were saying. They were saying, work harder. Do more. Be more religious. Be more disciplined. And if you do enough, and if you are enough, then you'll rest. But listen, there was no end to it. And there would be no end to it for you. Right? The promised rest was always just beyond their reach. Always more to do. You couldn't quite scratch the itch. The itch kept coming back twice as bad because it enslaved you every time. It owned you. Because you were always living under fear and shame and guilt if you failed. And you were swelling with false pride. Insecure pride if you succeeded. It created a deep insecurity and restlessness in life. And religious performance, it it is certainly one way that we try to scratch the itch for rest in our lives. But we're talking about human condition. And so if you don't try to scratch the itch through religion, you'll try to scratch it some other way. Maybe through approval. And you tell yourself, if I could just get people to like me, if I could just get people to love me and approve of me, if I could just, if I could just get in the right social circle, then I would know I'm enough. Then I could rest. Then I could be still. Or, or maybe it's through your career. You know, if I could prove my value, my significance, my worth through my achievements, then I could rest and then I would know I'm enough. Or maybe it's through something like sex or pornography. If I could just be desired or if I could just have my desires fulfilled, then I would be able to rest and I would be satisfied. Or maybe it's through materialism or through morality, being a a good person or being a good parent or whatever, or a good student. It could be anything, right? If I just, then I could rest, right? That's what we're after. You know, the great danger, I think, of youth um, is that you think given enough time in life and enough opportunity in life, that one day you might be able to scratch the itch. The hope of success and career or getting married or having a family or getting the approval, it's out there. One day, if you're not there now, you think, I'll probably be able to get there. And I want you to take it from me. Please, it is a mirage. It is a mirage. You will never get there. Right? It will always be just out of your reach. What you hoped was water to satisfy and quench your thirst, will turn to dust and sand in your hands. And listen, when you try to scratch that itch, it is always going to come back twice as bad on you. Why? Because it will enslave you, and it will own you, and it will master you. If I could just get inside the right social circle, and I could get people to approve of me, you're on your way to being enslaved, to being owned by everyone's opinion of you. To the point that you'll get down the road and you won't even know who you are anymore. If I could just become a success in my career, 
You are on your way to becoming enslaved by your performance. And you are going to become a workaholic. You know, if I could just have these desires fulfilled and met, you're on your way to an addiction, an addiction that is going to own you and enslave you. Every time what you hoped would give you rest turns into captivity and burden. You're probably not very encouraged yet um, this morning. But listen, this is what Jesus is saying in verse 25, or verse 28. He's saying, you are burdened. And it doesn't matter how you got there. You are heavily burdened. But he's also saying this. He's saying if you come to him, he promises to give you the deep rest you have been chasing all your life. He'll scratch the itch that's plagued you all your life. At the end of C.S. Lewis' Chronicles of Narnia, um, these stories, these fantasy stories, the children and the creatures were coming to this new world, this new place. It was like the world that they knew, but they were saying it was a new Narnia. Um, and it was so much more and so much better. And my favorite lines of the end of the story are when Lewis writes that the new Narnia was a deeper country. And every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. And then one of his characters said it perfectly. Listen to this. He burst out and cried, Lewis wrote. I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. And listen to this. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. Come to Jesus And he promises you the deep rest you have been looking for and chasing all your life, though you never knew it till now. And let's move on. Second, to consider the people who rest. Who is it that comes to Jesus and finds this deep rest that we're talking about? Who comes to Jesus and experiences the promise of rest in their lives? Verse 25, Jesus says that these things are hidden from the wise. They have been revealed to who? To little children. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about Mark chapter 10, and we heard Jesus say this I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. The people who rest are those who come to Jesus like little children. Now, I mentioned something like this a couple of weeks ago, so I'm going to be brief, but I want to add to what I said a couple of weeks ago. When you were a little child, a lot of your parents, they kept track of certain milestones in your life, right? Baby's first haircut, first footsteps, you know, first lost tooth, and they kept it in a baby book for you somewhere, right? A little lock of hair and a picture of those first steps um, and your first tooth in a little envelope somewhere. And it's so precious and it's cute and it's sweet, but those weren't the real milestones in your life as a little child that your parents celebrated, right? Uh, hate to burst the bubble for you, but when you could finally go to the bathroom by yourself, and when you could finally feed yourself, and when your parents could say, go get dressed and ready for school, and you could actually do it on your own, your parents danced for joy. When your parents could say to you, Go take a bath. Anytime you could take over any part of personal hygiene, your parents celebrated greatly uh, those milestones. And I think we understand this about little children. They are utterly needy and utterly dependent upon their parents for absolutely 
everything. Listen, they cannot survive unless you do absolutely everything for them. To feed them, to change their diapers, to carry them from one room to another, to take care of every single need that they have. And this is what I'm saying. Babies are really cute, but they're also really exhausting because you have to do everything for them. And it means that to a child, everything that it receives, that he or she receives, is an undeserved gift to that child. They didn't contribute one bit. My children, they've grown up a little bit now, but they're still not helping me pay the mortgage, and they're still not helping me pay for the grocery. But they're not contributing. Everything is a gift, an undeserved gift to them. It's a free gift. But you know what else is interesting about little children? If you've been around little children before, you know this. They are really, really trusting of their parents. You notice this? They can be rude and disobedient, and so rebellious one moment. And then in the very next moment, they want to crawl into your lap and snuggle with you. Right? They just assume that no matter what, what they do, that you have to love them. And that you're going to keep giving them good gifts. Their confidence in their parents is amazing. And listen to me, it is so amazing that many of us in our 30s, our 40s, our 50s, our 60s, We are still harboring deep bitterness and resentment to our parents because we trusted so deeply and they couldn't perfectly live up to our expectations to always give us the best gifts. How in them we always expected the good, great things, but no parent has ever lived up to that perfectly. You know, Christmas is almost here, and so it seems obvious to talk about Christmas gifts uh, this morning which is why I'm not going to. Um, there's just too much baggage with the whole naughty or nice thing. Um, instead, I want to tell you about a different holiday, um, and that's Halloween. Um, and I know that there are different opinions about celebrating Hall- Halloween, and I, I don't care if you don't celebrate Halloween ever. Um, that's totally fine with me. My kids are getting older, and they, they start asking these questions about, well, wh- why do we do this Halloween thing, right? And, you know, I can tell them about how it goes back centuries ago when the church used to celebrate All Saints' Eve, which is, you know, where we get Halloween, the word Halloween. And, you know, that people would dress up as demons and goblins, and they would dress up like this in costumes so that they would, they would be making fun of those principalities and powers that Jesus came to defeat. Um, And that's really where it comes from, um, no matter how it's been hijacked by secular society. And it's a good story, but it's kind of long, so I don't usually like to tell that story. Um, This is what I tell my kids when we're getting ready for Halloween, right? A version of this, anyway. I say, put on your costumes, (laughs) because because we're going to walk through the neighborhood, and we're going to act out the gospel tonight. Because we're, we're going to knock on our neighbor's doors, and we're going to ask for free gifts from our neighbors. And we are not going to that lady on the corner who gave us an apple last year. Because we are not after health food. We are after the good stuff and name brand candy. Um, and, uh, and, of course, I eat a lot of it too, so I definitely want the good stuff. And it's, it's awesome. and It's amazing. We knock on people's doors. And we just expect them to give us free good gifts. Listen, the people who rest, who enter Jesus' promised rest, are those who are like children knocking on the door of heaven for a free gift. 
free. Those who come knowing, I don't deserve this. I've done nothing to deserve this. Those who come full of trust in the goodness of God, that if He promises to give rest, He will give it because He loves us. Can you put away your exhausting chase of rest and come to Jesus? Can you come to Him like a little child, dependent and needy? Those are the people who find this rest that we're talking about. But you know what? It is hard It is very hard for us to be like little children. And do you know why? Because it goes all the way back to the very beginning of God's story when He made Adam and Eve. And He put them in paradise. And He said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then the serpent came. And what the serpent did was He told a lie. And He created a suspicion in Adam and Eve's hearts that maybe God wasn't giving them the best gifts. That they could reach out, and then they could become their own gods. They could call the shots now, and then they could be their own masters and really find rest. And that suspicion has been lying deep in our hearts ever since, keeping us from coming to Jesus like little children. Okay, third and last. I want us to talk about the place of rest. And here's what I'm after, if that's not clear. How do you get to the place of rest? How do you become like a little child who simply receives this free gift, this free promise gift? How do you you become confident that God really does love you and wants to give you the best things? That's what I'm after in this point. But give me just a minute because I need to tie up some loose ends here. You need rest. But at the same time, you're scared to just sit and be quiet and still and receive it. You chase rest in all kinds of things, in morality and religion and career and approval and the satisfaction of your desires and on and on. But the harder you give chase, the deeper the slavery, mastered by the opinions of others and, and the, by desire itself. You're consumed with it by what you can achieve. Welcome to the human condition, we said. You know what I think a life of that does to you? And it really doesn't matter if you're 12 or 40 or 50. It really doesn't matter. A life of trying to unsuccessfully scratch the itch only to have it come back twice as bad and enslave you, it hardens and deepens our suspicions that are already in our hearts. It makes us really, really suspicious of anyone who would come and claim to be our master and say that he wants to be our master. And we think immediately, that can't be freedom. How could it be? But look at our passage. This is basically what Jesus says to you, verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. He is saying that the only way for you to rest is to come to Him and be yoked to Him, to let Him be your master. Do you know what a yoke is? A a, a yoke is that heavy wooden structure that they put on the neck of oxen so that they can carry even heavier equipment behind them a plow or a a carriage or something like that, or a wagon. Do you know why Jesus says this? 
Why he uses an example like this? Because he knows that your human condition demands a master. You have to have a master. You need a master. You are made for that. It is carved into your DNA. But listen, all your other masters, whether they be career or morality or approval, they enslave you, they own you. And so Jesus is saying, come to me because I'm the one master, the only master who can give you the rest you need and crave and set you free. What Jesus is saying here is he's saying, you are going to have to take your hands off of your life and come to me. He's saying, you are going to have to submit. You're going to have to come and bow before me and give me your life. He's saying, you're going to have to drop every one of your conditions, all your conditions that say, Jesus, I'll follow you if you give me this, if you take care of me this way. He's saying, you have to come to me like that and submit fully. But he's also saying, if you do, I will set you free where nothing else in your life has ever set you free. He is saying, I will give you rest where nothing else in your life has ever given you rest. I will give you the deep rest you want to need. And as we come near the end, I want to ask you this. How can Jesus make such a claim? And how can you believe it like a little child, right, and be confident in his goodness towards you? The place of rest is at the foot of the cross. Because listen, the King of Kings came. And do you know what he did? He yoked himself to you. He yoked himself to you so tightly that the Apostle Paul would write that he became sin for us. He took all your burdens, he took all your guilt. All your shame, all your brokenness upon himself, and he carried it to the cross for you. What if he's your king? What if your king would do that for you? What if he's your master? All your other masters, whether you realize it or not, they are always commanding that you die in order to get them. Compromise here or there, and then you can get ahead. Die a little bit to your integrity to climb the ladder. Lie a little bit here or there to make sure everyone has the right opinion of you. Rack yourself with fear and shame and guilt, right, to keep up the religious rate. All your other masters, they command that you die to get them. And he is the only master who came to die for you just to get you and just to have you. And if you know that deep in your bones, you will be able to rest you will finally be able to rest and finally be able to be still and quiet. And there's nothing, there will be nothing in the silence to terrify you anymore, to haunt you that you aren't enough, that you don't measure up. Why? Why is that? Because I want you to picture something with me. Jesus was hanging on the cross. And hanging on the cross, he cried out in his anguish, Father, why have you forsaken me? And that question echoed into the deepest silence anyone has ever experienced. And because his father turned his back on him, because he became sin for us, 
you can be assured of this, that your Father in heaven right now is beaming in love over you, is smiling upon you, and is perfectly satisfied and happy with you. And if you know that, there is nothing in the silence that can scare you. And you can finally stop and rest because the King of Kings came and He came to give you rest. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for this Word that You have given to us. We thank You how You have not left us without a a light for our path. Father, we thank You that You have revealed on every page of Your Word the Lord Jesus Christ who came into this world, the King of kings, born in a manger, born to live, born to die, for us, His people. Father, we pray that the good news of the gospel would settle upon our hearts, that it would sink deeply into our hearts in order that we might experience the rest Your Son came to purchase for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.